Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, we have heard in Your Word this day that Your Son, Jesus, would take us to Himself when He returns. And we have heard that He is the way and the truth and the life. As we have already prayed, O Lord, grant us to believe and to steadfastly follow wherever our Lord leads us, that we would continually be renewed after His image, and that we would continually, in following Him, be sent forth to accomplish the work He has called us to do. We ask this all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel passage is one of these passages that are extraordinarily familiar to us. It is, after all, simply John 14, the first part of John 14. It has many, many famous words in it. From let not your hearts be troubled to I, in my Father's house are many rooms. To Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. These words are good for us to hear over and over again and to reflect upon and to hear about these words. Because everything that Jesus says after that oh-so-important phrase, let not your hearts be troubled, is Him explaining how their hearts should not be troubled. And it likewise is the same for us this day, in this day and age where there are so many struggles in this world. In so many ways, the world is so different from Jesus' day, and yet, it remains the same. Our hearts are troubled by many things in this world, whether it's wars or famines, persecutions, rioting, cultural clashes. All of these things trouble our hearts. And they stir us up to despair. They stir us up to not trust that God is at work. But just as Jesus said to His disciples then, He says to us now, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be troubled. And why does Jesus tell His disciples to not let their hearts be troubled here? He tells them because He will go on to Help them to see in the first part that He is the one true house. The one true house in which we will dwell. All of this talk about letting not their hearts be troubled flows out of what Jesus has been doing this night. For this is the night that He would be betrayed by His own disciple Judas. That they have gone through the Last Supper with Him. He has washed their feet. He has been teaching them already and telling them that one of their own will betray Him. That not only that, but even Peter himself will deny Jesus and they will all be scattered because of what is to come. Jesus says, I am going away, but I will return. You will seek Me, but you will not be able to find Me immediately. For I am going, you cannot come, Jesus reminds His disciples. For He is going to the cross. His hour is finally at hand. 
All of these things wrapped together to bring about a troubling life to the disciples. But even more so, what's so interesting here is that this very word, when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. In these past few chapters, there have been multiple times where Jesus is troubled. When He's at the tomb of Lazarus and all the mourners are there weeping, it says that Jesus was deeply grieved and deeply troubled in heart. So much so that He Himself wept over the death of His friend Lazarus. And then just over in chapter 12, verse 27, after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, it says that His soul was greatly troubled when considering the hour to come was His crucifixion. But nevertheless, He would stand firm. He would stand in the Father's will and continue down that path because He knows that is the path of redemption. That is the path of salvation for the world. Though He is troubled, He continues to stand firm. And then just over in chapter 13, in verse 21, it says, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. Jesus Himself is even agitated. He is concerned about this coming moment. And in the midst of all of that, He looks at His own disciples and says, Let not your hearts be troubled. His disciples are struggling with the reality of what is to come. Their hearts are troubled. And He tells them, Let not your hearts be troubled because that troubling of hearts is that anxiety, that perplexity. It is the struggle of not knowing what is to come. Grief and shame and confusion were all stirring up in them. And it's something that could easily spiral out of control to lead them to being tossed to and fro continually by their emotions. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Do not let these things cause you to fear. Do not let them cause you to stumble and fall away. And so He then says to them, Believe in God, believe also in Me. In this moment, they are to turn to God. They are to look to Him and trust. To know that the Father is in control. But not only that. He doesn't just say, Believe in God and then go on. But He says, Believe also in Me. He puts Himself on par with the one that they are to look to. They are not just to look to God the Father. Jesus says, believe also in me. Have trust in me. Have trust that this is where I am supposed to go. Have trust that I am in control. That I am accomplishing all that needs to be done. They are to turn to the Father and the Son with faith and trust and belief. In the midst of all that turmoil and confusion of this final night, Jesus directs their eyes to the Father and to Himself that will carry them through it all. And he goes on to build up more reason why their hearts should not be troubled. He says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Jesus comforts them with the reality of what He is going to accomplish. What's interesting is that here in the Gospel of John, that phrase, my Father's house, is only used of the temple. 
He speaks in chapter 2 as he is cleansing the temple that the temple is his father's house and it shall not be a den of thieves. It shall not be a place of selling. It shall be a place of prayer. And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And right after Jesus says that his father's house is to be a house of prayer pointing to the physical temple, he then looks to himself, destroy this temple, destroy this house, and I will rebuild it in three days. Turning our eyes from that physical temple as God's house to Jesus Himself being God's house. In my Father's house are many rooms. That Jesus is the place of dwelling for God Himself. For He is God incarnate. He is God made flesh. He is the one to whom we look to as our shelter, as the place that we will be dwelling within in the end. For He is the true temple. He is the true house of God that we look to. And in Him are many rooms. It seems so strange to think of it like that. That in Jesus are many rooms. There is room for all to come to Jesus, to be united to Him, to be bound up with Him in salvation. That He is accomplished and that He is making sure and will go and prepare that place through the cross itself. By going and dealing with the sins that separate us from the Father, He will prepare a place for us and has prepared a place. We, often so, we so often hear this and think about the disembodied state of just heaven of when we die, we go to be in the Father's house. And in one sense we do because we are going into the Father's presence through Jesus. But this isn't about the spiritual realm of heaven. This is really, I think, about new creation. Because Jesus then says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus' language of coming again refers to His very return to this world to make all things new. But look at what He says. He doesn't say, and I will then take you into My Father's house, but I will take you to Myself. I will return and gather all of My people unto Myself. I will encourage you and draw you up and make you my own fully and renew you and bring you into Myself that you will know the fullness of the love of God the Father for the Son. For you are united to the Son and all the love of the Father for Me now flows to you through union with Me. And being united to Me, you are now in the Father's house for you are in Me and I am in you. Just as the Father is in Me and I am in the Father. I will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is looking to the future, to His return, to renewing all things that will be accomplished through Him, through His work, through the things He will do. But do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. It is not just that future moment of Christ's return that we look to for Him coming to us to comfort us. That is the focus, that it is His future return, not to a momentary respite in heaven. The primary focus is that return. But it's not limited only to that moment that He comes to us. He comes to His people wherever and whenever they gather together. Whenever they call upon Him, He will come and comfort. He will come and unite us to Himself. 
He comes to His disciples on Easter morning. On Pentecost itself, with the outpouring of the Spirit, He comes to His people. In that moment that we are baptized, He comes to be with the One who is baptized. At every celebration of His Supper, He comes to us. And yes, at the moment of our deaths, He takes us to Himself to be with Him. That we might be with Him in heaven. But that is not the final place that He comes to us. For He comes, most assuredly, at the moment of His return to renew all things. He comes to His people and renews them to the uttermost, stripping away all sin from them and glorifying their bodies into a new and amazing estate. And for those who have already died in the faith, who are dwelling with Him and in Him, He will reunite their souls to their bodies. And they too shall be in a glorious state that shall never be undone. And that is what He is saying. When I return to you, I will take you to Myself. All of My people will finally be gathered together in one place. And so, do not lose heart at the things I'm talking about. At the ways that you may fail in this moment. Do not lose heart that you will see Me go to the cross and suffer and die for it is on your behalf. And that will be the way that I bring you to Myself. Christ comes to us and He takes us as His own through His death and resurrection and return and inwardly renews us in order to lead us more and more fully to look toward that most happy and joyful moment when He returns to fulfill all things through the resurrection of the dead. But not only does that give us comfort that He is the true house of God, but He is also the one true way. Thomas asked him, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We do well to continually remember that in our lives, that He is the one through whom we go through. He is the very pathway It's not just merely that He leads people to God, that He tells people about God, but He Himself is the one who unites heaven and earth. He is the one upon which we must cling to. For after all, earlier in this very Gospel, Jesus said, you shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The angels are even going up and down on Jesus in order to go into heaven to the Father and returning back to earth. That He is the true path. That even the angels go through Him to go to the Father. He is the way to the Father. And He accomplishes that and reveals it fully and completely through His death and resurrection. Giving us a pathway through Him. Through the veil of His flesh into heaven itself. Into the Father's presence. And into new creation. He is that way. But he says he is not only the way, but he is the very truth itself, that he reveals the reality of the Father. And he expands upon this in verses 8 and following, where he tells Philip that he is the true picture of the Father. So he reveals the truth of the Father. He reveals the truth of Scripture. He reveals the truth of himself, of God on earth, dealing with our sins and bringing healing and renewal to us. And out of that being the way and being the truth, He is also the very life that we need. 
In John chapter 5, He says that the Father has life in Himself. And the Father has granted that the Son is to have life in Himself as well. And thus, that makes Jesus the life of the world. He is the one who gives life to all. The life that Jesus has is meant to be poured out upon all people, poured out upon His people. For just a chapter later, in chapter 6, at verse 51, Jesus says that He is the living bread. And all that eat of Him shall have life, for He gives life, because He has been given life from the Father to be poured out upon God's people. And the life that He gives to the world is His very flesh. That He will lay down His life in order to bring life because He has the power to take him up, take up His own life again. And that life comes to Jesus because He Himself is God in the flesh. Jesus' very nature is God. He is both God and man. Because He is God, even His human flesh has the life of God within it. And that life is to be given to us because He has laid down His life on our behalf. We receive that life over and over through faith. We receive that life over and over as we partake of Him through the bread and the wine that He has given us. And it becomes a circular effect that as He gives us new life, we come to know that He is more fully the way. And as we know that He is more fully the way, we know that He is the very truth of the Father here on earth for us. And knowing that He is the truth means that we more and more embrace the life that He is filling us with, which leads us back to following Him on that way, to uniting ourselves to Him through faith and prayer, knowing that we are united at that foundational moment in baptism and are continually fed by His life through this bread and wine. Jesus continues to speak as He speaks of being the only way to the Father, saying that if you had known Me, you would know the Father. And from now on, you do know the Father, and you have seen Him. Philip, being confused, will show us the Father, and it is enough. And Jesus reveals again the truth, how He is the truth of the Father, for He is the very one true picture of the Father here on earth. Jesus is that true picture of the Father. Have I not been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. To look at Jesus is to know the Father. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father, for Jesus reveals who the Father truly is. We see the Father as a holy and righteous God who is also a loving, compassionate, and merciful God, who when He looks upon His people and sees them broken in sin, He does not immediately judge, but He comes and lifts them up. He comes and brings them righteousness that is not their own. He comes through His Son to bring them life and salvation. 
And He deals with that which has separated us from Himself. The Father sends His Son who is truly and fully God into this world to die on our behalf. And the Son willingly embraces that and follows the path that the Father has given to Him. And thus, Jesus is that perfect reflection of the Father's will, of the Father's love, of the Father's kindness and mercy to all who would come to Him. And what Jesus has done is exactly what the Father had desired for Him to do, what the Father wanted done, because Jesus perfectly fulfills the Father's will. For the Father's will is the will of the Son as well. Jesus is that true picture of the Father. So if anyone ever says, well, I like Jesus, but I don't really care for God in the Old Testament, they're the one insane. God reveals Himself as fully holy in the Old Testament by dealing with sin, sometimes in a very extreme way to our eyes and to our ears. But nonetheless, of all the sins His people committed, He continually offers to them forgiveness. He offers to them a way back to Himself. He continually calls them back to Himself and promises that He will send one who will accomplish all, who will take away their sins and fully restore His own people to Himself. And Jesus is that very God who comes to this earth to restore all things. So there is no true knowledge of the Father except through Jesus. We may catch a glimpse of the reality of God in creation. We may catch a reality that He does exist. A glimpse of it, but we will not know God in those ways. It is only through Jesus that we can know God to the fullest. It is only through Jesus that we can understand the Father. And we know the Father through Jesus that the Father has a loving and kind heart, that He is a compassionate God who deals with the sins of the people. For Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. To paraphrase Martin Luther, I know and will know no other God except the one laid in a manger and is nailed to the cross for us. And thus, because Jesus is truly God, He perfectly reflects who the Father is, and to look at Him is to know the Father. All of these things are encouraging us to not lose heart, to not turn away from our faith, to know that we are called to continually believe in the Father and to believe in the Son who is one with the Father. And that that Son has prepared a place for us in Himself, uniting us to Himself. That He has made a way and revealed to us the truth and given us life. And that in all of that, He has revealed to us the Father Himself. But there's one other way that He encourages His disciples on that hard night. On that night of being troubled and turning their eyes away from their troubled hearts into what Jesus is going to accomplish. Jesus speaks in verses 12 through 14 of the true and greater works that will be accomplished by the disciples through the Son. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. What are the greater works that the disciples are to do? Is it not? Is it even possible for the disciples to do greater works? 
Jesus Himself is about to do what we would consider the greatest work, laying down His life through the cross for the world. He is about to be raised from the dead. After that, He is to ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father and then to send His Holy Spirit to dwell with us forever. Surely that is the greatest possible work that can be done. And yet He says, you will do greater works than me. I think Jesus here is not pointing to that great spiritual act of sacrifice on our behalf. But He's pointing to just the simple and very true reality of Jesus' ministry was but three years, three and a half years, in a very tiny area of this earth. He never went beyond Galilee and Judea. Yes, He healed a great number of people and He preached to many, but He didn't heal everyone in that moment. He didn't preach to every single person on earth. You see, the disciples now will go on and do a greater work than what Jesus did, for they will carry His message. They will carry the truth of His death and His resurrection to the world at large. They will bring about a great expansion of the kingdom by telling the world about Jesus. He is going to work through them and extend His kingdom to untold numbers and bring those people into the kingdom of forgiveness, into the kingdom of peace with the Father above. His disciples would go on and minister upwards of 60 years after His death and resurrection. And then their work will be carried on by others. For those that they brought into the faith, they go on to share that very faith. And many, many others continue to carry Jesus' work far beyond Judea and Galilee, far beyond Samaria, far beyond the Roman Empire, to the literal ends of the earth. And that promise of greater works is continually being fulfilled each and every day here in our lives. For our works extend far beyond Jesus' earthly reach. Our works reach far beyond the geography of Jesus' ministry. We work through Jesus, for He empowers us, He builds us up, but He sends us forth continually to accomplish a greater work that we carry Jesus with us. We carry that aroma of who Jesus is to all that we encounter. By carrying that aroma of Jesus, we bring forgiveness to all who will hear of it. We bring forgiveness to all troubled consciences. We bring the truth that we are sinners, but there is forgiveness, there is renewal, there is redemption, there is a turning away from that which we are in and of ourselves to be a new creation in Jesus Christ, to be united to Him and to be bound up in Him who is the Father's house for us. We preach and proclaim that Christ has died and has risen again. And we spread that far beyond that moment in time that Jesus was upon this earth in His earthly ministry. And so Jesus has encouraged His disciples. And through that I hope encouraged us to realize that He is here with us. That He has united us to Himself and He will return and renew us and give us new and glorious bodies like His. That He has given us a way to the Father through Himself. And He has given us life in Himself. And has revealed the Father 
to us, His people. And so do not lose heart despite the circumstances we find ourselves in, for there is a glorious, glorious reunion coming. When Christ returns, all will be made well. All will be made new. And we will finally and fully get to see face to face the way, the truth, and the life. And in Him, see this Father who sent Him into this world. For then our greater works will be accomplished in Jesus fully and completely. For Jesus will make all things new and take us unto Himself into eternity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.